Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Sanity Sessions. I'm your host, Clint Sabom, and if you like our podcast, please leave us a good review in whatever podcast app you're listening in. That helps us go up in the rankings and helps us reach more people because there is a lot of good stuff that is a lot of a lot of help to a lot of people that I am trying to share here. And today we're going to be talking about something that's a very difficult uh, problem, learned helplessness that can develop in people a lot of times with abuse and trauma and bad interpersonal relationships and all sorts of ways it could really even develop without severe abuse just in the course of life. Um, It's coming off of the research of psychologist Martin Seligman and his research that uh, led to learned, both learned helplessness and its antidote, which is learned optimism. So there actually is a cure for learned helplessness. And the idea is basically that it's not necessarily the traumatic event and or the abuse or whatever that happens that keeps the trauma in place, that there's actually beliefs that are deeply ingrained around trauma that keep the trauma in place. But I know personally, it feels with trauma and anxiety and, you know, recovering from different abuse, it feels like it's just so deeply ingrained in the body that it's just this automatic response. And whatever your rational mind may think about it or not, it has kind of a life of its own. But the idea is to dispute the beliefs around the trauma that and over time it will eventually it will eventually shift. But at first, this learned optimism cure is not going to necessarily yield immediate results. I mean, maybe it will. I don't want to say it won't, but it, it requires a lot of repetition. So. As far as learned helplessness, the best to be a lot of times when people talk about learned helplessness, they'll go over and experiment with dogs. I like actually using a example of a fish in in an aquarium. So if you imagine a fish swimming around in an aquarium and say it's swimming very fast from side to side and end to end and swimming all around the aquarium. And then you end up putting a glass wall in the center of the aquarium. So the fish is trapped on one side. And at first it will bang up against that glass wall because it'll be used to swimming around the whole aquarium. So it'll keep banging up against that glass wall, trying to get through. And then eventually, eventually it will stop. It will learn that the glass wall is there and it can't go to the other side, and it'll stay on its half of the aquarium. And then, if you remove the glass wall, the fish still does not go to the other side of the aquarium. It basically stays on its side. And it's, you know, no matter what, it still will not swim to the other side. And that's kind of like the experience of learned helplessness. You're in, it, it comes from one situation, but even when that situation is over, the feeling of learned helplessness continues. You know that there's a traumatic event, but even when that event is over, 
the trauma a lot of times is worse because we're in a safer place and we can process it. So it's even worse and we're more scared and more anxious than ever before afterwards, even though the person or the situation uh, that caused the original trauma has left. So what are then these beliefs around trauma that and beliefs around learned helplessness that keep it in place? And it has to do with three different categories, basically space, time, and people. And so in with learned helplessness, the belief is that whatever has happened is all pervasive. Pervasive is the first one. It's all pervasive, meaning it touches every area of your life. It dominates every area of your life. It's everywhere all the time and just making everything awful. The other one is that it's permanent, that it's this way that this happened and that you're stuck in learned helplessness and whatever the event was, the events, because usually it's multiple events, whatever it was that caused it, those are permanent things and they're never going to change. And then the last one is personal, meaning we blame ourselves. It's our fault. We caused it. We shouldn't have put ourselves in that situation. We should have known how to handle it differently, you know, so so the weight of the matter and the responsibility lies with us and self-blame. So then, what is learned optimism? Learned optimism is the opposite and beginning to basically believe the opposite of those three things, which is that the, it, it was specific, temporary, and circumstantial. So it was a specific situation, a specific person, in a specific time and place, it happened in this situation, but that doesn't mean it happens in all situations or even most situations. It's kind of like if somebody abused you, it was specific to them. It doesn't necessarily mean everybody you run into is going to be abusive. And a lot of times recovering from abuse, that's how it feels. You get abused once and then you get end up by one person and you end up getting triggered by all people you come across. But the idea is to see it as specific and to continually tell yourself it was specific to them and not to, and specific to that situation and is not all pervasive. And then the other one would be temporary instead of permanent. That, that the event that happened is temporary it only happened this one time and it can change there's changeable aspect to it something that you can perhaps even do to make different situations different in your life and that um the the traumatic or painful adverse event was actually just a temporary spot in time and it does not apply to all time and then the third one on learned optimism would be to see it as circumstantial rather than personal, rather than seeing it as your fault that you caused it. 
see it as a factor, see the, all the factors that were outside of your control. You're not responsible for what somebody else did. It was their stuff. It was their problem. It was, it was their personality that did it. Or it was a situation you were in that was outside of your control. A lot of factors that came in that you could not control and had nothing to do with you doing anything or not doing anything. So it was more circumstantial or in a sense, you know, this is kind of a, a, a thing where it's almost better to go ahead and blame the other person than to blame ourselves. Go ahead and at least put, you know, not necessarily that you have to be, you know, harbor anger all the time. Although if you do harbor some anger, that, that can be healthy and healing as well, but that you just continually see it as factors outside of your control, including, you know, the abusive person in a situation being outside of your control. So this, this is, you know, what, what we would call disputing. It would be called disputing that instead of seeing the event as pervasive, permanent, and personal, we continually dispute it and see these events as specific, temporary, and circumstantial. And you can do this with any small events. It doesn't have to be just the traumatic event. It can be any event that upsets you throughout the day, anything that happens. It could be a re-triggering of past trauma, or it could just be an unfortunate, irritable situation in life. And to go through that event, to write down, you know, not only, you know, like what the event was, but write down the beliefs that it feels pervasive and permanent and personal. And then to go on and then to go on and actively and energetically dispute those things. And in the disputing, um, in addition to seeing it as specific, temporary, and circumstantial, in the disputing, you can also look for, uh, there's four things that Martin Seligman recommends to, to you know, kind of keep your eye on about any event that upsets you, and that's evidence, alternatives, implications, and usefulness. You know, what evidence is there? You know, a lot of times the facts are on your side. A lot of times we're upset about things that are basically um, an overreaction, an emotional overreaction, when in all likelihood we're a lot safer than perhaps our nervous system feels. And to use that evidence and what are the actual facts and to act actively use that in your disputing. Also, alternatives, you know, always be looking for, is there a different way to look at this? Is there a different way to understand this that might be more useful? Because usefulness and alternatives kind of go together. Like, is it useful to see, to catastrophize, to see this as all pervasive? Or is there an alternative way to look at it? And obviously, I showed you the alternative way of seeing things as specific, temporary, and circumstantial. But there might be other alternative kind of ways you can apply to a situation. And then the others is implications. You know, look at the implications. Because some events are bad. And some events, you know, are unfortunate. And they do cause pain. And they are problems. 
but what are the ultimate implications? You know, what is actually the worst case scenario? Because a lot of times we'll feel really bad when the worst case scenario is not something that's really going to, you know, destroy our whole life, even though we may feel like it will. So learned optimism is, you know, in conclusion, learned optimism is basically disputing the beliefs that concentrate around the feeling of learned helplessness and disputing those beliefs to yourself. And it's going to take some time because I think it's, I think there, there becomes a lot of times a dissociative effect with um, trauma and anxiety and even depression, a dissociative effect that can happen there can, where, you know, our thoughts and feelings become a little disconnected and we may look at something and see the rational side and that may not immediately shift our our feelings about it. We may we may know that it's not quite rational and still feel highly triggered and highly on edge. And so that's why the disputing is something to do regularly and even something I would recommend for doing 30 days in a row. Just write out any events that happen that upset you. Write your beliefs and the beliefs that have to do with learned helplessness about it, the pervasiveness, the permanence, and the personal, and then actively write down your disputing it, you know, that reminding yourself it's specific, temporary, and circumstantial. Look for evidence, alternatives, implications, and usefulness, and do this regularly for 30 days in a row. Um, and then just see what happens. And, and I've done this, you know, I'm not, you know, talking from a distance here. I have done this and it does work. It does work. It took me some time to really begin to do it and to begin to shift some of the trauma and anxiety. Because like I said, a lot of times with, with trauma and anxiety and depression, a lot of times it can just feel so deeply ingrained and so deeply ingrained in our nervous system that we don't even realize there's beliefs around it because it feels so visceral. And that's why this this disputing with learned optimism takes some time to continually do. And actually, to help you do it more, if you're interested in going deeper, I do have a course on overcoming learned helplessness. Um, it is, and it goes through all the different kinds of exercises you can do. It goes through all the different kinds of examples to do some of this work. And I'll put the link to that class, um, underneath the podcast here. And perhaps that's something that interests you and, um, will help you get started on this work because it really can work. It just takes some repetition and some active involvement. So anyways, hope, hope some of this helped and hope that this was beneficial to some listening to it. And, um, I look forward to talking to you on the next episode and hope you have a good day. All righty. Bye-bye.